0: August 5, 2001, the Cleveland Indians were losing to the Seattle Mariners 14 to two in the seventh inning. Everyone knew it was a done deal. The ending was obvious. The Mariners had it in the bag. But like Yogi Berra said, it ain't over. The Indians started swinging their bats, and in only two innings, they overcame the 12-run deficit to send the game into extra innings. They went on to win 15-14 in the 11th inning. It was the largest comeback in Major League Baseball history. The historic game even earned a nickname called the Impossible Return. February 5, 2017. Super Bowl 51, the Atlanta Falcons. (laughs) I actually got to be at that Super Bowl, the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots. Atlanta came out strong and kept scoring. With only two seconds left in the first half, the score was 21 to nothing. Just before the clock ran out, the Patriots kicked a field goal for their first score of the game. At halftime, the score was 21-3. Through the third quarter, the Falcons continued to dominate. And by the end of the quarter, the score was 28-9. Everyone knew it was a done deal. The ending was obvious. The Falcons had it in the bag. But remember, it ain't over. (laughs) Atlanta did not score at all in the fourth quarter. New England scored a field goal followed by two touchdowns and two two two-point conversions to tie the game and send it into overtime. They went on to score another touchdown and win the game 34 to 28, it was the largest comeback in Super Bowl history. November 27, 1996, Utah Jazz trailed the Nuggets 70 to 34 in the final minute of the second quarter. At halftime, they were 36 points behind. Everyone knew it was a done deal. The ending was obvious. The Nuggets had it in the bag. But remember, it ain't over till it's over. In the second half, the Jazz outscored the Nuggets 71 to 33 for a total of 107 to 103 win. It was the biggest comeback in NBA history. On Friday, They dragged Jesus from the illegal trials where they had unjustly condemned him. They beat him. They whipped him. They spit on him. They forced a crown of thorns into his head. They made him carry his own cross as far as he was able. And when they got to Golgotha, that hill of death, they threw him down on top of the cross, drove spikes, Through his wrists and his ankles. And then they lifted up that old rugged cross. Jesus started to suffocate from the weight of his own body. They watched him suffer as he hung there in shame and agony. They mocked him while he bled for them. They laughed at him while he prayed for them. They played games at his feet while he died for them. All of creation went dark when the light of the world was snuffed out. When it was over, some of the few friends he had left took his body down, wrapped him up, and laid him in a borrowed tomb. The Lamb of God was slain. Jesus was dead. Everyone knew it was a done deal. The ending was obvious. The enemy had it in the bag. But remember, it ain't over till it's over. Early on Sunday morning, the women who loved him got to the tomb to finish caring for his body. But instead of finding a dead savior, they met a living angel who told them he's not here. He is risen, just like he said. Come, see the place where he lay the stone was rolled away the tomb was empty and Jesus was gone he had kept his word he told his disciples he would rise again and he did just that what looked like a devastating defeat on Friday was clearly a glorious victory on Sunday they thought they had him beat they thought they had shut him up they thought they had put him down but they didn't know it ain't over till it's over through his glorious resurrection, life defeated death, grace defeated the grave, light defeated darkness, and hope defeated despair. Because of God's great grace, you and I can share in that victory today. Let me show you how. First Peter chapter 3, we're going to begin chapter 1, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 3. I want you to be able to see how the victory that Jesus won over death, sin, and hell can actually affect our lives today and forever. I want us to see that it ain't over, even for us, till it's over. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to begin at verse 3. He starts with a doxology. That word is a a word that's not just the title to that old song. It's a word that means words of glory. Doxology is words of glory. And he begins in verse 3 with those words of glory, just praising God for a minute. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You love him, though you do not see, do not now see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And let me tell you that when Peter talks about the way that we can share in that victory, when he talks about that living hope, He knows what he's talking about. He was close to Jesus. He was one of Jesus' best friends. Not just one of the 12, but one of the the inner, inner circle. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. And yet, he is also the one who denied even knowing Jesus. And then he left the scene. You and I know the story of how Peter denied Christ three times and then the rooster crowed and Peter was overwhelmed with with the reality of his betrayal. But then have you ever noticed that the gospel goes silent about where he went and what he did? There's a reason for that because we find in Scripture... That all of the disciples left Jesus in his hour of need. John apparently came back because Jesus speaks to John while he's on the cross. But as far as we can tell, John is the only one who even returned. So Peter not only was one of Jesus' best friends, Peter was not only the first person in all of time and creation to be able to declare, You're the Christ. You're the one. You're finally here. He not only served the purpose of proclaiming to the world that Messiah had come, but He is also the one who let our Jesus down and denied knowing Him and then left Him, abandoned Him in His hour of need. Peter blew it big time. He had no plan after he left Jesus to die alone, Peter had no plan. He had no way back. He had no hope. But Peter learned that it ain't over till it's over. And so he writes for us from his experience And we heard in the gospel just not long ago that that the angel at the tomb told the women, go tell his disciples and Peter. I don't know if you caught that when David was reading for us a moment ago. But the angel said to the women, go tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is not here, that he came back to life like he said he would and that he's going to meet them Later, God, in His infinite mercy and grace, wanted to make sure that the message got not only to the disciples, but specifically to Peter, because perhaps Peter needed to hear it more than any of the others. He needed to hear that there was hope in His hopelessness, that there was light in His darkness, that there was a chance for renewal in His despair. Then we read that the risen Jesus personally invited Peter to breakfast. One of the first times that we see Jesus after his resurrection, he is inviting Peter to breakfast. And after they share a meal together, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, You know I love you. We're buds. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, you know, we're friends. You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. And Jesus said, then go get busy. Feed my sheep. In the courtyard the night that they took Jesus, somebody said, Peter, do you know him? I don't know him. Aren't you one of His? You talk like He does. I don't know Him. Oh, I've seen you hanging out with Him. I think think you're one of Jesus, aren't you? He, he, He said, I don't know the man. And then after the glorious resurrection, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Canceling out the sin and the denial, and the betrayal... And establishing again Peter, not only as a believer, but as a minister of the gospel, as a disciple, as an apostle to Jesus Christ. Now you go and feed my lambs. Peter's been there. He knows what it is to experience the reality that it ain't over till it's over. And so we hear Him tell us this morning a few ways that we too can experience that victory. And let me share those with you as we look back at our text. First, we can experience a new birth. In verse 3 again, He does the doxology, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then He says, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We've been born again. Now, he is writing to the church. He's writing to people who have already committed their lives to Christ. And so he can say to them, we have been born again. What that means is you used to be somebody without Jesus. You used to be somebody who only made decisions based on what you wanted, when you wanted it, how you wanted it. Life was about you. And let's be honest, spiritually speaking, life was headed nowhere. When Jesus stepped into your world and he caused you to be alive enough to accept him, and to trust Him, to enter into a relationship with Him, all of that changed. And now you are no longer headed toward a dead end of selfishness, but now you've been born into a new life. You're a new creature. The old has passed away, and all things have become new. Spiritually speaking, you were born all over again. That's what happened if you have truly trusted in Christ. If you are a follower of His in reality, then you have been made something new. There is a new birth because it ain't over till it's over. He's not going to let you stay the way you were. He's going to change things and make you a new somebody so you can experience a new future. The new birth. But we also see in the text that we We get to experience a living hope. Did you hear that in that same verse? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How do we get to be born again and how do we get to experience a living hope? It's all made possible because Jesus won the victory over sin, death, and hell. It's because he came back to life and he said to the enemy, you don't get to win this one. Not today, Satan. You lost this one. It's because he came back to life that he now offers life to those of us who will trust him. We experience a new birth and we experience a living hope. It's living because he's alive. It's a living hope. Not, not just wistful thinking, not a false hope, not a fleeting hope, but a living hope because it's based on a living Lord. We continue every day to have hope because we serve a risen Savior who continues to live every day in us, through us, around us, and, and holding all things together. That's why we have a living hope because the one in whom we hope is alive. We get to experience a new birth. We get to experience a living hope. And look at verse 4. Verse 4 says that, that while we've been born again to a living hope because of the resurrection, all that is given to us, in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Friends, this life, is not all there is. If you are a follower of Christ, if you're a child of God, this life is but an instant in the midst of eternity. This life is just a moment. And the reality is, He is keeping for you an imperishable inheritance. When mom died a few years ago, she passed on to us her inheritance. Let's be honest, it wasn't much, but it it means a lot because it was hers. We've got this little savings account of the inheritance from mom. But you know, one of these days, that little savings account is going to run out. We're gonna, we're gonna use it up and it's gonna be gone. Maybe mom, dad, grandma left you the family quilt, the family Bible. You've got an inheritance that you hold on to that, that helps you remember and honor those who came before you. But beloved, that that Bible's eventually gonna fall apart. The moths are eventually gonna get that. That quilt. Everything in this world will eventually fade and or decay. Nothing lasts. But the beautiful promise to God's children is He passes on an inheritance to His kids that lasts forever. It never fades. It never grows old. It never it never gives out. His inheritance to us is that eternal life of glory with Him. What an amazing thought that because Jesus died for me, because He came back to life, I now can be adopted into His family and receive the family inheritance of eternal glory. Wow. He brings a new birth living hope, an imperishable inheritance, and a peaceful assurance. A peaceful assurance. Look at verse 5. Who by God's, all right, who is the who? Who is you? At the end of verse 4, he said, it's kept in heaven for you. Now verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Listen, he says, those of you who've been adopted into God's family, you know you're going to stay in the family. Nothing changes once you're in God's family. He holds you in his hand. The word here is that he guards you. It's a military term. It says that we've got something in a box here and and our job is to make sure that the enemy doesn't get what's in that box. And that term is used that says God holds us, keeps us, and will not allow the enemy to get anywhere close to getting us from him. We are held in his hands. That's why once you really trust in him, you put all of your faith in him, you cannot lose that. Why? Because you're not in charge of it. He's got you. He's got you. And He'll keep you forever. That's amazing. We can have a peaceful assurance. I'm a child of God, and I know I'm in my Father's hands, and I'll be there forever. We also experience, because of the resurrection, we experience a joyful perspective. Now listen to this. Especially on this day in our community. Listen, listen to verse 6. In this you rejoice. What, is it, what do we rejoice? We rejoice in what he just said. We rejoice in the fact that God's got us. That He's going to keep us and take care of us and hold us for all eternity. That that gives us a reason to rejoice as we look forward into eternity. We know we're cared for. So in that we have reason to rejoice. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. He says keep your perspective You have a joyful perspective knowing that he's got you, that he's gonna keep you, that you'll be with him forever. That gives you a joyful perspective even when you have to go through life's trials. Let's face it, no matter what the dude on TV tells you, sometimes life stinks. Even for Christians. Being a believer does not ensure that life is going to be great and wonderful and you're going to get rich and stay healthy. The guy who tells you that is just trying to stay rich and get healthy. Off of you. What the Bible says is life stinks sometimes. And you and I are going to have to go through some of that. But through it all, we keep a joyful perspective because we know that God's got us. He'll never let us go. And eventually, we're going to see that this trial, this suffering was an instant compared to all of eternity with Him. There's a joyful perspective and a reminder that we have a glorious future. A glorious future. Look at verse 7. So that... The tested genuineness of your faith. In other words, you're going to go through these trials from time to time. Think of those as the same way that you take gold, you put gold, You put fire under gold so that it gets out all the impurities. But in the end, you know that the gold is pure and real. He says, in a way, God can use your suffering, use your trials in that way so that when you get through one of those times, you can say, Wow. This faith thing really does work. God really did get me through. And so he says in verse 7, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says one of these days, You're going to see that all of that is behind you and it was worth it when you compare it to the glorious future that we have with Christ. It's going to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Beloved, sometimes life stinks. But it ain't over till it's over. And when it is over... Jesus is going to be revealed in all His glory and we're going to be able to share in that glory with Him and, we're, and it's never going to stop. It ain't over. I know it hurts. I know it hurts. I hurt. But this is not all there is. It's not over yet. When it's over, we'll be able to say, God has been good and God held me And now I can see His glory. And that leads us to eternal salvation. One of the things that we experience because of the resurrection is that eternal salvation. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. The reason those were powerful words from Peter was because Peter did see Him. Peter walked with Him. Peter walked on water with Him for a minute or two. They were tight. And so it made sense that Peter would love Him. He saw Him. But Peter now is honoring the church saying, you guys haven't even seen Jesus and yet you love Him. You haven't seen Him and and yet you believe in Him. And so He says, though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What is the outcome of this life of faith? The outcome is eternal salvation when we experience being saved for now, for right now, we're in the process of being saved right now, understand that that will culminate in the fulfillment of salvation and we will be totally and completely saved from the presence and the power of the enemy and the result of of all that he does to, to mess up life. Because Jesus... Died on the cross. And then because he came back to life. He sends you and me the message. It's not over. Till it's over. And when it's over. You ain't going to believe. The glory. That makes it all worth it.